Welcome to the Know It Some podcast, bringing you the widest variety of conversational interviews for a well-rounded perspective on life. Because while it's true, nobody likes a know-it-all, it's also good to know it some. Here's your host, Steve Platt. That's right. Welcome to the Know It Some podcast. I'm your host, Steve Platt. And before I introduce this week's guest, I have a few important announcements to make. First, it's an incredible honor to announce that the Know It Some podcast has been nominated for the 2021 Podcast Awards in both the People's Choice category as well as Best Society and Culture podcast. I'm really humbled by the amount of love and support for the show. And on behalf of myself and the entire Roll Up Network, thank you so much for every follow, ranking, review, and retweet. Voting ends on July 31st, so please head on over to podcastawards.com and cast your vote for the Know It Some podcast in both the People's Choice and Society and Culture categories. And while we're at it, I'd also love for you to give us a ranking and review on Podchaser. Podchaser really is the future of podcast reviews. It's not just for Apple users. Whether you're Team Apple, Team Android, does not matter. Head on over to Podchaser and leave us a ranking and review. And of course, we would always love a five-star ranking on Apple or iTunes as well. All right, major congratulations are in store for past guest Eddie Alvarez on being selected to lead Team USA as the flag bearer during the opening ceremonies last week. We're extremely proud of you here on the show, and we will be cheering you and the rest of Team USA on as you open competition against Israel on Friday. I know we had said that they faced South Korea first. We had that wrong, and our apologies there. They face South Korea the next day on Saturday. So check them out. I can tell you that Eddie will be rocking custom cleats made and designed by another previous guest, Marcus Rivero, who has made custom designs for many of this year's Olympic athletes. So congratulations to Marcus as well on that honor. I've seen some of the designs already on Marcus's Instagram, and they are absolutely incredible. What he's doing for these Olympians there in Tokyo is amazing. Marcus is one of my favorite Instagram follows, at Souls by Sir. You can see what he's got going on over there. Okay, this week's guest is a man of many talents, and I don't say that lightly. He's an accomplished actor, director, writer, musician. He's been on shows that you love, like Bloodline and Burn Notice. And, and I'll tell you, Burn Notice is one of my favorite shows of all time, and he plays Barry the Money Launderer on that show. He's in a bunch of episodes to include the pilot and the finale. Just an incredible job. He crushes that role. He has a true passion and love for the fine arts, and that comes through again and again in what just might be my favorite interview on the show so far. I had a lot of fun talking with Paul, and I'd be shocked if he isn't your favorite know it some guest by the time the episode is over. We didn't even have a formal opening at first. It was just a cold open. We were talking, having a, a blast, and then I was like, oh, uh, welcome to the Know It Some pod. So our first cold open, uh, we're just going to roll right into the conversation. It's our longest episode yet. It's going to leave you wishing that it never ended. Please welcome to the show, Paul Tay. I mean, you never know who you meet along the way. So anytime like I meet people, you know, I, I try to get to know, like I try to ask them their name or, you know, what's they're about because, you know, as somebody who got into this because I was a fan, you know, it was meeting, it was meeting celebrities or meeting artists growing up as a kid and them taking the time, you know, to say hi or, 
I remember when I was in the eighth grade, I was really into the Go-Go's. Yeah. And I snuck into the sound check <clears throat> at Sunrise Musical Theater. And I had brought flowers for the drummer, Gina Shock, because she had recently had open heart surgery. And she mm. was like, like, you know, I'm a little kid. I was like 13 years old. <laughs> she was like so blown away. And she like gave me her drumsticks and she introduced me to Charlotte and Belinda and Jane, like the whole fucking band. And wow. Michael Hutchins from In Excess, they were the opening act. <clears throat> I shook his hand, took a picture with him, and sat next to him during their sound check, like yeah. checking out the Go-Go's. And, you know, I shouldn't have been there. They could have easily said, get the fuck out of here. The security <laughs> could have come in. Today, it would never happen. But, you know, it did. And it left such a an impression on me that, um, you know, when I was in L.A. and I remember one time I was walking down the street and some little kid ran up to me. He recognized me from this Disney show I was on. <clears throat> and, you know, you just take the time. One time I was at an L.A. Galaxy match and we were hammered, hammered in the parking lot. <laughs> and this little boy's pulling on my shirt and... You know, I can see that they're like, are you Sweaty Eddie? And their dad was with them. And I like passed my beer to my friend and, <clears throat> you know, quickly sobered up. And I was like, yeah, what's up? And they're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And they're like jumping up and down. That's so awesome. So I just started jumping up and down with them. And, you know, I'm a nobody. So it's like if you know who I am and you want to say hi, I'm. that sounds like a, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're really not a nobody. That's that's the thing, you know. uh you you've done so much um, well i'm a somebody but i'm not you know yeah. that's that's what i mean i'm not yeah you know, it's you know, like yeah it's not like um you know oprah or anything right like where you're like crazy recognizable and and i think that's probably a blessing because you're able to kind of live your life and go about your life without you know what i mean sure without because <laughs> i think at a certain level it it, it can probably get annoying um, yeah well, and, and now in, in this day and age i mean like like you know, my students have no idea what I've done, you know, like, wow. they don't, they, because they live in the moment. Right. You know, they don't know who Bruce Willis is. Jeez. I showed them Pulp Fiction and I said, okay, do you guys know who Bruce Willis is? And they just watched it. And they're like, no, I'm like, you just watched him. They're like, oh, because they don't <laughs> have any context for him. They don't know Die Hard. They don't know oh, the man. Demi Moore situation. You're like, they don't know it. But I think that's the, I think you're you're right, though, that that's a, a function of people right now just living in the moment, because that wasn't the, the, the case for you and I. You and I kind of knew the people that had come before us, even if they were not uh, from our time. Like, I don't know about you, but like I've I've watched the Dick Van Dyke show like every episode I've you know, I've I've seen, well, you know, you know yeah. Will and Hardy, you know, absolutely, because I mean, <clears throat> When I was growing up, nostalgia was invented. Yeah. Like, nostalgia didn't really happen until 1971. And there's a Life magazine article, as a matter of fact, that, that like, kind of a, a rings it in. Mm. Uh, I actually have it. It's, uh, I've, I've picked it up one time in a thrift store. And <laughs> it's like, you know, nostalgia, all the rage. And in the 70s, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s were all on the small screen, the big screen, music. And I was very, very confused because I'd be watching, 
you know, uh, happy days. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, is this the seventies? And my dad's like, no, it's supposed to be the fifties. And I'm like, but why do they have long sideburns? Did they have long sideburns in the fifties? He's like, no. He's like, <laughs> it's, it's, dude, <laughs> he's, he's explaining to me, you know, period pieces. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm confused by what the fuck is Sha Na Na. Like they're in the seventies, but they're fifties <laughs> music. And, and you know, so like I'm born into this thing where I have to separate, mm -hmm. you know, what is what? Like why is Harry Nelson singing all these old songs from the twenties? Did he record them in the twenties? My dad's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know. So now these kids, they don't, they don't have nostalgia because they're brainwashed by corporate America. They don't, they, they just, they don't know tacos. They know Chipotle. They don't know Spider-Man or superheroes. They go Marvel versus DC. Yeah. Corporate talk, you know? It really, really is. And it's sad. And, you know, when it comes to going back, because now think about it with, with uh, everybody streaming their television now, right? They, they right. kind of, it's not the same as network TV was and, and all that. Uh, they have the ability, oh. if they wanted to, to go back and watch. Because I've done it. Uh, I go back and watch all of Cheers. I'll watch Taxi. I'll watch right. you know stuff that came before. Oh but yeah. They they don't do that because when I talk to them and and I talk to them about quote unquote watching older shows, this generation will say, "Oh yeah, we we watch like Friends in the Office," and mm -hmm. I'm like, "That you know what I mean? Like that's that's your that's idea. about as that's about as far back as they can." as they can go they can't go back further than the 90s and and their their tastes are very very limited They're, they don't like things that are non-linear they don't like things that are are talky they they mm. want action 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 they're obsessed with fast and the furious yeah michael bay over aaron sorkin i think is is the uh the taste yeah. that they have um you know and the other thing too is is that we had to know everything that came before because we were still part of a time where kids were seen and not heard. Like, my parents didn't take me to see movies I wanted to see. Are you kidding me? I went to go <laughs> see what movies they wanted to see. I went to the restaurants they went to. And if there was something on the menu I could eat, I was lucky. Nowadays, people just cater to their kids. So, yep. you know, there is no more... Um, you know, adult themed because the adults never grew up. The people in my generation who had kids are all big babies. Yeah, it's kind of true. Them, I, I see mean, them on Facebook. I see them on Instagram. They're nice people, but f all they want to do is go to Disney World and Walmart and Chipotle. And it's like, you're all brainwashed. You don't have any opinions. And then they're all so happy when Bohemian Rhapsody came out because they're <laughs> like, oh, finally my kids get my music and I'm like, first of all, it's not really your music. It's not even my music. We inherited queen. They're yeah. the generation really before us. Mm -hmm. They're not really a gen Xer band. I mean, okay. Flash. I loved it. Right. And people laugh at me when I tell them that's my favorite queen record, but <laughs> like, that's when I know queen. Right. You know, when I was nine or 10 or whatever I was when that came out. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's even it's, their retro tastes are, are not real. I mean, it's more like whatever the mainstream thinks is popular of the, the retro stuff. It's, it's, uh, you yeah. know, what, whatever's in fashion now. And they, they think it's, you know, Oh, you know, this is, this is my past. It's, it's not really your past at all. No. Um, 
millennials are really bad like that. Millennials mm-hmm. think everything's theirs. Oh yeah, no, I know, and I'm guilty of it too sometimes. You know, yeah. uh, truthfully, um, because a lot of the stuff that I like uh, comes from before me. I'm a huge Tom Petty fan, and Tom Petty's not underground at all. He's he's very much mainstream, but because he was mainstream. It was uh, available to me, presented to me, I guess, uh, in such a way that I was able to fall in love with it. And then I went back and through his whole anthology and the whole deal. But um, he, car- he crosses over, though. You know, he's yeah, he's he's part of a, of a time when pop music or pop rock uh, mm-hmm. or mainstream rock was not an ugly term. Like, yeah. you know, the last great pop music for me would have to be like Madonna and Hall and Oates. Yeah. Like, you know, Hall and Oates, man, those guys were top 10, top 20, top 40, amazing songwriters. Yeah. We don't have pop music like that anymore. Well, we don't have songwriters hardly anymore. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's some like, I, you know, I, I, I gave Lana Del Rey a really hard time when she first came out because she went to Fordham and she just seemed like, she just seemed like a well-groomed it girl. Mm-hmm. But she's a really good songwriter. She's got some deep shit. Yeah. I'm oh, super yeah. impressed. You know, I, um... I, I try not to be a hater because I read music magazines every month. Like, I am I try to be as up and up on, on music because I feel like right now, of my favorite forms of art, music, music is the only one that's still really moving forward where... Cause like I can have a, <clears throat> I had a conversation last night with this 15 year old son of like my best friends, two of my best friends. And, uh, you know, he was showing me his record collection and it's, <laughs> it's great, dude. He's got Radiohead in there with like electric lady land and, you know, Aphex twins. And he's got like this instrumental stuff and it's really wow. eclectic. And, and I can talk to him and I was like, Oh, Jack Cassie played bass with, uh, on uh, one of the live tracks in Electric Ladyland, he's like, yeah, yeah, I love that song. I was like, yeah, well, he's in Hot Tuna. I saw him. He's like, oh, Hot Tuna. I said, like, they were spin off of Jefferson Airplane. He's like, oh, I know them. And, you know, so, like, I feel like if you get... I feel like your friends did a good job with him. (laughs) Yeah, right? But, like, if you get young people who like music, they aren't afraid to go back. They aren't afraid to genre hop and, and bust out, you know, some country they like. Um, you know, or some metal and, you know, then I tell them what I like and they're like, oh, that's cool. So you can have that conversation. Television and film right now, which was the way we communicated with our elders, right? Like if you said to your uncle or grandpa, oh, I saw Casablanca, they'd be like, oh, now you're talking. You know what I mean? So in order to have conversations with our elders, we had to learn their culture and their culture for us growing up was sports TV, music, and film, period. Yeah. You know? But if you try to have that conversation now with the generations that come after us and you try to bring up, you know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf or whatever, they're not going to know what you're talking about. You you know, you bring oh, up, no. you know, like none, none of it, Um, which is, it's sad, but by the same token, I mean, I don't think that all hope is lost. Uh, you know, this could just be perhaps a phase, Um, you know, I'll, I'll hold out hope, uh, uh, to a certain extent, but you know, it, it's certainly like you said, with with how corporate everything has gotten, you know, it, it's discouraging. I think the only silver lining to that dark cloud is there are things now uh, where people are able to get their their 
influences and their music and everything uh, uh, from other sources, you know, other, pe- other people that have uh, social media accounts or podcast accounts or TikToks or whatever that are not necessarily being funded by or aligned with, uh, you know, sponsors on television and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So that'll be kind of cold open um, and welcome you in a little in the middle here and uh and just say you know welcome to the know it some podcast and i really appreciate you being on here um it means a lot to me paul oh steve my pleasure man absolutely thanks for having me absolutely i i um you know we we talked a little bit uh just now about uh your love for music but you you've done a lot of work in the realm of acting and and in theater um, both, you know, in the theater and on television and in movies. And I think you even did some animated stuff. Um, so you've kind of done a little bit of it all. What got you interested in the performing arts in general? Um, that's a good question. I guess, you know, being an only child and um, I really only got to see my cousins in the summertime. So uh, before I started playing like, any kind of organized sports uh i spent a lot of time alone and with my parents so Mm -hmm. in my bedroom um i would listen to my records and i would take my plastic baseball helmets you know yeah Uh, for before before you could buy like baseball hats like you can now like at lids and stuff right you know you they didn't have anything like that you couldn't get like authentic stuff like that but they had these like plastic baseball helmets that they would sell at games and stuff like that i don't know why they why we would want them but we would wear (laughs) them and they were stupid you know because they they had like a piece of plastic inside it's like almost like a hard hat but yeah, it's not and you couldn't wear it in a game. It's not game regulated. So no, no. <laughs> they just caught a lot of dust. Well, what I did was I turned them into a drum set. Oh. And you know, I would take sticks from the pennants that I would get and I would turn those into my drumsticks until they would break and I would put on, you know, physical graffiti in the light and I would play along to Bonham's drums or I put on you know, Ozzy, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, when he had that live double album, Speak of the Devil, and I would try to, you know, emulate symptoms of the universe, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then when I was into the Beatles, it was taking a tennis racket and putting shoestrings on to make a guitar strap and <laughs> playing my tennis racket like I was George <laughs> Harrison or something, you know? That's awesome. That's um, awesome. And then I would like start to kind of the precursor for, I guess you could say like air band lip sync when John Lennon's uh, John and Yoko released double fantasy in 80, you know, he hadn't had an album out in five years. So it was a really, really, really big thing. And uh, I got the album when it came out in October. And um, I remember like, doing a lip sync thing for just like starting over to my mom and dad. And they were like, yeah, you know, and then he, then he got murdered and then everything like became introspective and I started drawing and I started doodling and I started writing and poetry and, and stuff. And so I guess really in the sixth, fifth and sixth grade was where that whole like love of music um performance 
drawing and then like MTV came out and I mean my god I just sat there and watched it until I had to go to bed it was like the best thing I'd seen since like you know Speed Racer you know I liked Speed Racer I liked um, HR Puffin stuff which was a little bit before my time and those are the same um, people who uh, Sid and Marty Croft who created all the McDonald's characters and the banana splits so all that like live animation and comedy Scooby-Doo and, and, and soundtracks and like this whole vibe of like pranksters and goofiness and like the honeymooners and, you know, kiss and, and, and Kabuki, all that stuff was very theatrical to me, the phantom kiss meets the phantom of the park. And so, you know, and I was a big Halloween kid that was like, huge but this was like before this is when when people were putting razor blades in the candy apples and stuff you know? yeah like, fun times for for kids everywhere <laughs> yeah but you know it was like the old school like you know your parents didn't take you just went with your friend and walked down the street yeah yeah I basically do. beg beg strangers for candy is uh which yeah. i guess is frowned upon now um you know if, if, if you, basically it's don't talk to strangers and don't take candy but back then it was go go knock on doors in the dark and beg strangers yeah. for candy. And so, you know, when you'd get to somebody's house and they had done it up and they had like spooky records and they jump out at you, man, I couldn't get enough of that cheap thrills. And oh yeah. I like I said I spent a lot of time alone, so I had like Fisher Price toys and Star Wars toys and in the backyard I would just create these like scenarios. Mm-hmm. You know, like these like long drawn out storylines that I would create. And then, you know, eventually like these people would, you know, negotiate with these people. And then, you know, the Fisher Price guys flying in the Millennial Falcon and, you know, yeah. Greedos in a Fisher Price truck beating up G.I. Joe. You know, it was like I was already creating and writing and I was writing short stories as a kid. I, I I was writing all these stories about rabbits, like like new versions of Peter Cottontail. I was obsessed with 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 rabbits. I'm like obsessed. Huh. Like Donnie Darko? <laughs> yeah. 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 Pretty much. Like when I saw that film, I was like, oh wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let, let me let me ask you. So that sparked the the love and the passion for it. When did you decide okay i want to pursue this as a career and i think i can make this happen well um the first thing was music so i got a drum set when i was like 12 really had a hard time trying to get my feet and hands to do completely different things yeah uh got really frustrated but that's where i learned to love the go-go's and like bow wow wow and a lot of that more tribal stray cats where i was like oh you don't need a whole drum set. You just, you know, <laughs> bang on the snare drum and play the toms. And so I, that kind of took me to more of like playing the bongos and the, and the conga. And then I, I wanted to play guitar. And so um, I played uh, in the jazz bands in high school at Chaminade. And I wasn't very good. Like I couldn't solo. I couldn't play leads. But I knew my chords really, really well. Gotcha. And because, um, you know, I like the Who and power punk and all that shit. Mm-hmm. So I was just playing that stuff anyway. Rhythm guitar. Yeah. Yeah. But then um, like by my junior year, I was at Cooper City 
and this kid comes up to me and he says, Hey man, um, are you in a band? I was like, no. He's like, Oh, I was like, why? He's like, Oh, we're looking for a bass player. I was like, Oh, I can play bass. I didn't have a bass. <laughs> and he's like, great. Can you come to this house on such and such? I was like, yeah. So I like went to this thrift, like a, like a pawn shop and I got some $25 no name knockoff, you know, Fender precision bass. <laughs> and, um, I went to their house and I was like, okay, you know, it's four strings instead of six and the top four are the same. So this, it's like an, it's even easier. If you're a rhythm guitar player, it's like bass. Oh my God. It's, it's like you actually yeah. are more talented. So, so I was in that band, the invalids and then the invalids. Oh, I love that name. Yeah, it was good. And, uh, then they broke up and, the main guy in that band went on to have a really nice career in some other band. I can't remember now. Yeah. Anyway, me and his brother started our own band called Sirhan Sirhan. And, and we were, that's we awesome. were, well, you know, we wanted to offend our parents' generation, right? Yeah. They, as they much loved, as possible. <laughs> yeah. Cause they all love the Kennedys. Yeah. Um, and we kind of were goofing on Duran Duran. So we made our S's like all big, like the D's, you know? Oh, cool. Yeah, and so that, that took me, I had that band for like two years. We just played school gigs and like parties, house parties. Um, you know, we, it was fun. We had a lot of original songs that I was writing. I was writing all the, mostly all the, the, the lyrics. And then I'd, I'd write these riffs and then I'd take the riffs to the guitar player, Scott. And, you know, he would, he would turn them into songs. And so that was really the beginning, I guess you could say, of the of where all that creativity was going. And I designed the logo and, you know, all that shit. Right. And that's right. what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do theater. I didn't. I think I saw one play in high school that one of my friends was in. And I was like, you guys are nerds. I don't like nerds. <laughs> I don't hang out with nerds. I don't know these dorks. I don't know. You're more of the punk, uh, the, the, the punk rock kind of a of a feel that and soccer. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I played, I played soccer my pretty much from like fourth grade on. Yeah. Um, you know, I played in my high school teams, and I played on a city league team, a travel team. So yeah, I was either playing soccer or listening to music, or playing music, or going to see bands. And then I got into Barry University, and um, some this woman came up to me and she wanted to take my picture. She's like, you're really interesting looking. I had like <laughs> bikey blonde hair. You're like, thank you? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so she started taking my picture a lot. And, uh, you know, I was like modeling, I guess. And she's like, my sister is in a play. I was like, oh, God. She's like, look, do you want to come with me? I was like, okay, sure. And we went to go see her sister in a play at Barry. And it was Night Mother by Marsha Norman. And uh, they had a professional actress in it, um, Harriet Ozer, who I've gotten to work with, which is like crazy amazing. And, oh. and it, was, it, was, it was so good. Like it was so not the crap I saw in high school. It was like really professional set, the lighting, the costumes, the performances. And it was... It was that kitchen sink drama. Mm -hmm. And it just lit a fire under me. It just, boom. You know, my band was breaking up. Um, 
I was a five foot ten goalkeeper. You know what I mean? In a in a in a, in the we didn't have MLS yet. Right. You know, North American Soccer League was bust. Mm-hmm. So I was like, maybe this is the world I need to be in. We went to the party afterwards, and I met all these eclectic people, you know, and um, and it just seemed like a perfect segue from a kind of busted music career mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't going to go anywhere, I don't think, because I don't know. I, I don't know. I know maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I could have done something with it, but I just got the bug for it, and I auditioned for the first show that that I could, which was a, a musical called Carnival, mm-hmm. and I was really into it because it had puppets. You know what I mean? And the right. woman who ran the theater program at Barry, Patricia Manaw, was like this famous puppeteer, no and kidding. I was like, holy shit, this is my way in, man. I, I I'm down. So. Man, once we got in there and I started working with foam and hot glue guns and, <laughs> you know, paper mache, I, 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 you know, it was like, I never, you know, I was never a Boy Scout. I never went to camps. I never, I never did any kind of arts and crafts, creative stuff like that. You know, it was always more, you know, um, plug in and play or sports. So yeah. this was now a whole new way building sets you know, changing lights, figuring out how to rewire lighting equipment, you know, like this, this cable goes to this and this wire. And I was totally into it. Like, like I, I, I hated school, except now that I had a, had a purpose and I was learning all these new skills, it really wasn't about the acting so much at first. It was really more about like, like being in, in a, a world where you could create like you yeah. could just take these words on a piece of page and then this person's going to go, you know, if we build a set that looks like yada yada and the lighting person's like, yeah, and, blah, 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 and the costumes. And I was like, oh, my God, this is you're creating worlds. And I had always loved movies growing up. But mm-hmm. to me, at that time period, in 1989, I was like, you can't make movies. Only rich people make movies. Yeah. You know, well, it just it is, didn't it seem is, accessible. It, it is different, though, theater versus, you know, television and film in, in, in so many ways. Um, the linear progression of, of, of acting out and, and putting together everything, I think, is is definitely um, special. And then I think the audience uh, feedback and and response is is also special, uh, you know, having a, a live audience there. Um, so I don't know. I I, I think I think what you were able to do in getting involved in theater and like you said, creating worlds that opened up an outlet for you that you hadn't had before. I mean, you had all that creativity in you and I don't think that you necessarily from what you're telling me had the ability to do that up until that point. Yeah. It just didn't have teachers that, I mean, I had really good teachers at Chaminade, but um, I mean, one of them I still talk to regularly, man, this guy, Mr. Wanyu, and he's still teaching. And he's, he just sent me a CD that he made like two or three months ago. Beautiful. I mean, the man is a, a beautiful human being. And, uh, you know, he's a great singer, guitar player, songwriter, you know, and he's still doing his thing. And he was a big inspiration, you know, so I, I had great teachers at Chaminade. It's just that I just in theater was not 
no one in my family was an actor. No one in my family did theater. People played music in my family. My, mm-hmm. my dad was a singer. He was an amazing singer. Um, his dad played the trumpet. Uh, my grandfather on the other side played the violin. My grandmother played the piano. So, you know, we, we did music. My dad played college basketball. My mom played high school basketball. You know, so music and sports, that was our thing. And movies. I mean, when, nobody went to the theater in South Florida. <laughs> no, they still don't go to the theater. No, they, 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 they still don't. Um, right. Yeah. Well, so uh, about that. So Mad Cat Theater Company, um, almost 20 years, or what, about 18 years or so? Um, well, we're still, we're still, we're still going. I just, I, I just took a break because I burnt out. COVID. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. We were, we were, we had transitioned. The last physical stage piece that we did was in 2018. Okay. But then we made a full length movie. It took about a year to get it out. Um, we, we did two festivals and then we tweaked it. And now we're waiting because of COVID to, to put it out. And then okay. we've done some short music videos and stuff like that. But I mean, we're still around. I just had to stop doing theater because of a lot of reasons. Gotcha. But, you know, I just don't, I just don't, I just didn't feel, I, you know, it's just after 18 years, after nine, actually 19, now we're what, 20, 21, mm-hmm. we're in our 21st year of existence. Yeah. I don't feel like I need to do anything right now i i i I don't want to write another grant i don't want to beg people for money i don't want to beg people to come see my work you know i i i i i got people got sick of me i feel like this town hates my guts because (laughs) um you know you 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 can get sick of people it's like rem it's like radiohead (laughs) they're still good but i'm sick of them you know what i mean yeah yeah I well, like I don't want to hear you two anymore. I don't I don't I you know stop because it's too much. We've OD'd on it. Yeah. What 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 made what made you start the theater company in the first place? I mean, um was it a desire to to kind of get your work out there or um it was a bunch of things. Did you uh, did you know a good group of people before you went into it? Oh um, yeah, I was really lucky. I um when I was in undergrad at Barry, uh, we got this new kid that came in my junior year named Chaz Mena, who's, you know, very successful actor down here and in New York as well. And Chaz uh, <laughs> was like a total new type of energy. Um, he'd come from UM. He was a couple years older than me. He'd already been on Miami Vice, you know, and he was... Uh, he was just different. He's had a different energy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, you know, somebody who really took it seriously. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Took himself seriously, too. And so he said to me, hey, I'm playing uh, Austin in this production of True West by Sam Shepard. And I was like, oh, my God, I've read him. He's amazing. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, we're doing this play, this brand new theater company. You should come down and check it out. And I went down to Lincoln Road and I checked out this space and they were doing a play by Joe Orton 
called Funeral Games, and I knew who Joe Wharton was because I had seen the movie Prick Up Your Ears with Gary Oldman. Yeah. He's like my favorite actor and uh, like favorite of all time. And so like I didn't know who Joe Wharton was. I knew that I was going to go see the next Gary Oldman movie, and he's playing this guy, Joe Wharton. So I got obsessed with Joe Wharton, and this guy is now doing a Joe Wharton play, and then Sam Shepard, and so I meet this guy, John Rodas, and we hit it off like that. And I auditioned for him for True West, and he's like, you know, you're you're way too young to play this part. He's like, but I really like you, and I'm, I want to work with you. And I was 20 years old, and he gave me my first professional acting gig. And, I mean, like, that was it. I was hooked. I shaved my hairline. I would, like not shower for days like i totally was like all oh, super method about it because you know i was reading uda hagen and marlon brando and you know all those guys all those old school you know stella adler actors those were my my heroes right well you know and, and they're good heroes to have i mean you, those 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 are names that that um <laughs> that i i would hope live on forever um so they're good heroes to have you know, uh, Clifford Odets, I read all that stuff, the fervent years, all of his plays, all that like hardcore, you know, post World War II Americana kitchen sink stuff. And that was really back in the late 80s and early 90s when I was getting into theater. You mm -hmm. know, these two person, three person, four person dramas, slugfests, you know. I mean, just the, 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 the kernel of, of what it's why, if you want to be an actor, that's the kind of stuff you want to do, you know, where you're building a character over nine scenes and intermission. I mean, and so I was working at, at area stage, uh, driving to South beach where I had been already hanging out, going to see all these concerts. Cause that's where all the, all the punk and alternative bands in the eighties played was, was Miami beach. Right. So I was already there anyway, and now I'm doing theater professionally, and I'm in school and doing puppetry and building puppets. And, you know, like I wrote my own puppet show. And I mean, I was, that's really, really cool. It that's was some the, Jim Henson. So when, once I started working at Aries Stage, uh, John, and then soon his wife, Maria, wrote as like they just they just took me in. And for the next 10 years while I was in college, while I, when I went to grad school, when I came back from grad school, I worked off and on for area stage for 10 years. I was like the Denny Lane to their <laughs> Paul and Linda McCartney. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, seriously, yeah. I had the keys to the theater. You know, when they had their first child, you know, like they were like, you're running the show. And I was a college kid and they let me design. They let me direct. Man. They let me stage manage. So all the things that I was learning from my my teachers at Barry, John and Maria were saying, you can do that stuff here. And so it was like I had two educations going at the same time. And that nurturing for me as an only child who you know, like didn't really have a lot of friends growing up and really kind of was awkward at times socially was was what I wanted because it was what I had in the band. It's what I had playing soccer. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. group of people who were your friends, they had your back. So for me, once I decided that I wanted to go to grad school and, and, and get my master's in directing, I always, from that point on, was like, I'm gonna have a theater company. That's so and cool. So that really was what it was all about. And then, 
you know, I joined some other companies when I got out of grad school. I came back, you know, was still working with area, worked with a couple other groups. But I had an opportunity in 2000 to start my own uh, and, and, and get off the ground with Miami Life Project, you know, where they were like, come on in, you know, you don't have to pay rent for the first, you know, year. And I was like, what? So, you know, <laughs> I started writing these Deal. plays. I had I had my girlfriend at the time who was a, an actress and a writer as well. I was like, help me write these plays. She's like, what do you mean help you? I was like, I have no confidence. I have no courage. You know, like I know what I want to say, but like help me. So we like co-wrote these three plays the first year and bam, we're like new times, best of blah, blah, blah everybody's coming to see us sold out shows. And I was like, so, you know, that's what it really was, which eventually then takes us to. So, so area area was really kind of the, the inspiration in a way, you know, cause you, you, you felt that kind of family and, and it was something that you loved and you just kind of wanted to, to maybe uh, not, not just recreate it, but, but make one that's yours. Well, uh, they, they stopped and they stopped for a while. I mean, they've been going strong now, but they took a little bit of a hiatus themselves after 10 years. Mm. And so when they made that break, I was like, well, now's the time for us to sort of be like a spinoff group. That's awesome. you know, Cause that's how I always think of things in like musical terms. I was like, we're not going to be area stage, but it's like almost like we were the mothers and like he's like Zappa, you know what I mean? And so like, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. gonna now be the mothers without Zappa. And so I, I, a lot of the kids, there's kids, listen to me, God, a lot of that. <laughs> well, they were, they we were kids. We were in our twenties. That came with me were cats that I knew that we had worked together at at Area Stage or at Gable Stage, you know, where I huh. just worked. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I honestly never really. Uh, realize that you know the the whole i don't know like like where the genesis of this kind of stuff comes from but but you're kind of right like it is kind of like musical uh, uh in 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 terms of spinoffs um and you know like like one thing spawns another um yeah exactly that's, and that's and so cool. it inspired us to go do our own thing where you know like john was doing a lot more of area stage was doing a lot more of like other people's work and, you know, occasionally doing original, we were like, we're going to do almost only original and then occasionally do a previously published work. You know what I mean? That's I how that. we wanted to separate ourselves because we didn't want to be just like them or anybody else. And I was looking around going, well, nobody does comedies in this town. Everybody does like serious shit. And mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm not here to compete with anybody. I don't care i don't want to be like any of these other theater companies at all i don't want to have a season subscription i don't want to do credit cards i don't give a shit about the carbonells i don't care about any of that stuff because all the that stuff is just it just it just complicated it just complicates things Where, where'd the name come from mad, mad cat, cat. Mm -hmm. um you know same thing like what i was saying earlier about like being a, a band you know i wanted to sound more like a band than a theater company like, like you know yeah. like keep trick yeah yeah no i um, like it well i mean one of the other names i thought of was funky monkey that's pretty um, cool <laughs> but you know everyone's like no that's just you sound like a ice cream flavor and well now they have a, a you know a beer funky buddha so you know it's kind of yeah and funky, yeah. yeah and funky was a cool word in 2000 um yeah 
but I think Mad Cat works best because, you know, it, it sometimes we're angry and, and, and sometimes <laughs> we're just crazy. I like it. I like it a lot. Now, a lot of people know you from uh, Burn Notice, right? And, and I'll admit, I, I know it's kind of annoying uh, to, to, to constantly uh, uh, hit on that show, but I'll admit that that's kind of where I, I don't want to say first recognized you from because I, I had seen you in a, in a commercial that you had done for, for Pringles uh, way back in the day. But, um, but like when I was in the Marine Corps and this was before, you know, Netflix started putting out their own content, they were still, you know, shipping DVDs to people and stuff. Yeah. You really only had like network television and a handful of uh, cable channels. And um, so I'm just kind of like flipping through, trying to find something to watch. And here was this TV show that for me was like a little cheesy and, and corny and, and maybe a little campy, but in like a little playful and a little, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know if campy is the right word, but. No, no. I always describe Burn Notice as Scooby-Doo meets MacGyver. Yes, yes. And, and I, I enjoyed it. Like, and, I, and I recognized that it was still, you know, some mainstream stuff and, you know, still a show, but. I enjoyed it compared to what was on network television and I couldn't get enough of it. And oh, it saved, it saved uh, cable. Yeah, it, it was phenomenal. I loved the show. Um, and you were uh, a reoccurring character in so many episodes to include the pilot and finale. I mean, you you're on screen on both. And, um, and so I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that show if I, if I could. Yeah. Um, well, you know, burn notice is, is another great part of that because, when I, when I got the call from Matt Nix that the show was going to be, you know, a go, he was so excited. He's like, I want to, I want to, I want to make you a recurring character because Barry was not originally thought of as far as I know. Okay. As yeah. being a recurring character, but I met Matt at the at the pilot shoot and he was he was really cool like really hungry really um into it and you know i'd done five pilots in miami that were all busts Mm. and so you know this was like the first one i read that i was like you know what this has got something yeah, I told him that I was like, are you from Miami? He's like, no, 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 no. I said, well, you've, you've done a really good job capturing things that certain people prior have not. And, he, and so he knew that I know Miami. And so I said to him, I said, you know, in this first scene, if I throw in a little Spanish at the end or something like that, is that cool? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you speak Spanish. I was like, well, listen, if you're going to live in Miami, you're going to have to learn some Spanish because yep. people here. They don't say Caliocho. They say Caliocho. And everybody knows how to pronounce it. And if you don't, you look stupid. Like, it's not L.A. where everybody's, you know, bastardizes all the Spanish. Like, right. it should be Los Feliz. And everyone calls it Los Feliz. And I'm like, yeah, oh, what yeah. is wrong with you? This is Dude, a Mexican my fir- <laughs> city. You were my, founded my- by Padre Pio. Uh, my first time, like in the San Francisco uh, area, I was staying in uh, Tiburon. And, uh, but I was calling it Tiburon. And uh, the, the locals there in the Bay Area were like, "Wait, you're you're staying where?" Uh, yeah, they're so they're so gringo. It's like, come on, man. And they're like, "Are you Hispanic?" I'm like, "No, but I live in Miami. I'm, you know, come on. Yeah, you got to be able to order your own food in Spanish." For sure, for sure, for sure. Um, so so you 
you had a feeling about the show that it was going to get picked up or, or at least that it was different than it, the previous pilots you had filmed. Yeah. And so, you know, on the set that day, I mean, you know, uh, we did our thing and, and Matt was really excited. And so the show was a go. And he's like, I, I think we're going to bring you back a lot because you're local and, uh, you know, you know, a lot of people. I gave him a list of names of numbers of actors and like personalities because he wanted people that were authentic. That's pretty which, of cool. Course, yeah, which then, of course, that got me in trouble with the casting director. She wasn't <laughs> too happy about that. And I, didn't, I was like, I don't know. I said, look, if the creator of a show asked me to jump, I'm going to say how high. OK, yeah. He yeah. asked me for some names. What do you want from me? <laughs> Did you know? they ever pull from that list or no? <laughs> I have no idea. But apparently <laughs> the, the list at least got to her because she was like, you don't think I don't know who actors are? I was like. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I wasn't thinking about it from your perspective, you know? Oh, you know? that's so funny. But um. <laughs> once the show got picked up, I remember hanging out with the wardrobe people and uh, the designer. And I remember saying, well, what's everybody wearing? Because they were talking about what are we going to make Barry look like? And um, I said, show me what everybody's wearing. They showed me what, you know, they had for Michael and I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And they showed me what, you know, Bruce's character was going to play. And I was like, okay, so we got to go away from that entirely. So what I didn't see was the metrosexual Miami guy. Yeah. The guy who's wearing clothes that are fashionable, regardless of whether they look good on him Mm -hmm. or whether they fit. Because that, (laughs) that to me, was what was going on. And. And I also said, I want to make him sexually ambiguous. Like, I want to make him, like, so metro that maybe he's bisexual. Mm -hmm. And I talked to the writers about it. And they're like, okay, let's see what you do with it. And so, you know, I would talk to the the props department. And they'd be like, what do you want to drink? I'm like, skinny, tall glasses, really fruity stuff on top, you know, uh, like a straw, maybe flowers, you know. Man, you Always nailed it. <laughs> Got to have the man bag every time, even if it's not there so that people start to go, what's in that bag? So it was like creating this person now became a lot of fun. And it helped me when I would go back because I wasn't working all the time. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm doing burn notice four times a year. You know, the rest of my life, I'm hustling, hustling, hustling. Yeah. So to remember this guy, it was like you had to create him that he was like like in theater where it's like you know you walk away from the show and then you come back on wednesday or thursday and you're like oh my god feels like a hundred years but you know once you put on your costume you're like okay i know now i remember oh the shoes right oh this is how he walks right so a lot of that was taking that theater background you know what i mean yeah that artistic director background and going build yourself a character that you can remember because watching Watching Jeffrey Donovan play Michael was like, I was like, oh, he has so many lines, right? Mm-hmm. That his delivery is really simple so that he can remember who it's right. Exactly. Almost comically simple. Um, but yeah, but you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you were kind of like a Halloween kid that you kind of liked old school horror. Had you seen Bruce Campbell's previous work or, or was that? Oh, yeah. Of- Oh yeah. So, so you knew, you know, who you, who you were acting a- across from and, and everything. 
Um, yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. I was really nervous the first time um, I sat across from him. And uh, he, he noticed it. And he's like, what's up? <laughs> I said, no, nah, it's just like I got a million friends who, who want me to get your autograph. <laughs> I bet, I bet. He's like, yeah, well, you know, you'd have to go to a Comic-Con to get one of those. No, I'm just kidding. You don't want my autograph. I'm like, no, 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 I don't. That's so funny. <laughs> and he laughed when I said I don't, you know, his friends. And so uh, uh, he's great. We we got along really, really well. Um, That's awesome. That's really cool. A, a great guy. Amazing. And and really another guy who knows everything that's going on because he makes his own movies. Yeah. So it's like having another director producer on the set because he knows what's going on. He can, you know, see things before it's going to happen. I remember we were doing this one episode where um, it's the episode where the where the house blows up. Yeah. Alert. Yep. Right. And so we're spending a lot of time together and there's a scene when he's going to make the bacon and mm -hmm. he says, Hey, listen, Paul, don't try to fucking do your lines too good during this. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm going to be making a lot of noise. I'm going to be clanging. It's going to happen all over your lines, but you'll thank me later when you get to go do ADR work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, great. And then it kind of helped me not to get stressed out about that scene because I thought he's right. That's what's going to be the precedent. And then I'll be in L.A. and they'll be like, hey, Paul, I'd like to want you to come in. And you're like, oh, sure. Four hundred bucks an hour. Hell yeah. I'm going to come in and do some ADR work. So <laughs> that that idea of, of being a professional and, and keeping it fun. He, he's you know, I, I, I got to say, Bruce Campbell was great. At, at I learned a lot from him. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's really cool to see somebody that I knew was local, you know what I mean? Because I knew your parents and everything on this show and not just, you know, some outsiders coming in and thinking they knew Miami. And you nailed it with with all that. Exactly what you just said was what was in my mind and probably a lot of people's minds who were who were from Miami watching the show, uh, you know, the, the, the Miami metrosexual and exactly how that that character. It, it was beautiful to watch. And thank and you. And then, you know to have you as a recurring character where it wasn't just like an episode piece, but something that, like I said, you know, from pilot to, to finale um, was a part of the show. It was just really fun. It was a lot of fun. I hope you had fun, you know, playing oh, yeah. the character. Um, and, and certainly, you know, something that, that people still talk about um, and, and still recognize you from, I'm sure at times. <laughs> um, yeah. I've been really fortunate that, you know, um, I may not have done a whole hell of a lot, but like, the things that I have done um, are really high quality. Um, yep. You know, Burn Notice, Bloodline. I mean, Bloodline is, woof, what a great you're, show that You're the, the corner, right? I, I, um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't have as big of a, a recurring. I, I ended up doing five episodes. It's um, still pretty cool. But yeah, but I mean, just, just the quality of that show, again, it's just a learning experience. I mean, you know. Um, the DP on that show, he created that whole dirty look, that style. And mm. I just, I just completely fell in love with it. So every time I'm working with my students and I'm directing or I'm working on a film and stuff, I'm, I'm always thinking about, let's put that in the foreground and, and blur it a little bit so that we get this kind of dirty look. So it, it has this voyeuristic kind of quality. Mm -hmm. So every time you're watching bloodline, it's like, you're the person that's hiding behind that tree or the building or the bush and it's right. the camera, you know, it's, it's fascinating. You know, there's been, a, cause there's been a lot of stuff that's come through Miami that 
I mean, it's not very, not, I mean, you know. No, no, I, I, you can say it because everybody's thinking it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm glad my friends got work on those shows, but I didn't watch them. And, um, I don't think anybody else did because they came and went real fast. No, absolutely. So, uh, you know. Yeah. I, I, it's a shame that we are in the situation that we are because having lived in Los Angeles, people in L.A. and New York love to come to Miami to shoot. I mean, yeah. are you kidding? They get to stay on Miami Beach, get put up in hotels, party their asses off all night long. Mm-hmm. You know, do, they love it here. And, you know, they don't want to be in Atlanta. It's hot. It's landlocked. The traffic is just as bad, if not worse, than L.A. when Miami. But it's you a financial know. thing, right? I mean, some some sort of tax incentives and different things right. that bring them there. Yeah, it's the tax incentives, and because. But it makes the... all the shows look the same, though. When, <laughs> you right. know, when they're all set in in Georgia. Um, yeah, I don't see. See, that's the thing. Like, as you know, you and I spoke about corporate, and I know that USA Network's a major network, and Burn Notice is a major show. But for what it was it was so different and so unique. And like you said, like, like Scooby-Doo meets MacGyver in, in, in the, the way that it was presented, it was refreshing because it wasn't like the other shows that, that you would scroll through. And oh, I don't know, man, I think we need more of that because right now what I'm seeing is a lot of reboots, a lot of remakes, a lot of uh, sequels, a lot, you know, people are digging into the same old bag over and over and over again. Yep. It's it's a little nauseating uh, from from a from a consumer standpoint. It's I, terrible. I, no, I mean it's true because what's happening now. I was having this conversation with my students uh, the other day. You know, a lot of these shows that they're binge watching that I've watched, like Glow, for instance, really love season one of Glow. I got to season two and I was like, huh? no, I'm done. Mm-hmm. That was a really good movie. You should have just made it a movie. You know, or like Stranger Things, like I binged watch, which I can't really do because the next day I feel like I'm having a brain hemorrhage all day long because <laughs> I just I'm not I can't absorb that much information. Yeah. It overwhelms my brain. Mm. And I, I'm like, I can't remember it. And then there was I remember episodes in season one of Stranger Things where I was like, God, this is so boring. Let's just move it along. Like, but, you know, no, they got to drag it out. We got to get this close up. And, I'm, you know, no, you don't like. Stop making movies into television shows and stop, stop, just stop. But they're really scared and they're really apologetic and they're really lazy and nobody goes to the movies. And, you know, all anybody wants to see is, is backstory, 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 exposition, same thing over and over. And, you know, eventually it'll stop and somebody will come out with the next do the right thing, the next drugstore cowboy the next pulp fiction the next you know melancholia whatever and we'll have that revolution again but right now when all of our great filmmakers of the last couple decades can't get their films to be distributed or can't get wide release or having to compromise yep. do you know superhero films and crap it's like I, I don't I don't want to see a I, I want where's my P.T. Anderson movies like, you know, I, I need that stuff, but it, they don't think that we do. They don't think we need intellectual stimulation. Give it time, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I, I really am kind of hoping that things do come full circle. Things things tend to be cyclical. 
Yeah. And I'm hoping that that the cycle, you know, come, comes back around. I do. Um, I agree. It will you know. because it does. You know, mm-hmm. you can just look at it in terms of decades. Right now, it's like we've been a decade that seems to want to repeat the worst parts of the 80s. Yep. And, you know, having lived through the 80s on in hair metal, you know, eventually we got Nirvana. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's true. Um, and when Nirvana came, it's like wiped out all that crap. It's like all that crap left. And you either were a good enough band like, you know, Sonic Youth and all the cool alternative bands that I was into already in the 80s. They carried over into the 90s and all that poison and white snake and all that crap all flushed down the toilet. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we're just I'm, I'm in wait and see mode as a consumer, you know, on, on the outside of it. Uh, just to, to kind of see what we get next before I wrap this, I wanted to bring up, uh, cause you, you know, you did play soccer and, and I know you're a big soccer fan. I uh, wanted to hear your thoughts on inner Miami because I know they've, they've had uh, a, a tough start, but they are bringing a different style of soccer to the city of Miami than Miami's ever experienced before. It's different than the fusion or anything like that. Um, I do see a larger fan base than we've had in, in, in past years. What 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 are, what's your thoughts on the franchise? Well, you know, um, a lot. I have a lot because because I love soccer, because I love Miami, because I love David Beckham, because I love Fort Lauderdale, because I love where they're at. I don't. First of all, I don't think this location that they want, this golf course next to the airport, is a good idea at all. First of gotcha. all, it's got the most. What is it? It's the most toxic soil in all of Dade County. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's saying something yeah the location is a is a nightmare how, i mean what you want us to drive to the airport it's bad enough to go to the airport now i gotta go to a match next to the airport yeah it's a nightmare to get in and out of there you know maybe if you you know give me public transportation oh wait sorry brayman owns that no we're never gonna get public transportation well I don't know. So to me, leaving it in Fort Lauderdale, leaving it in that stadium and letting it grow there. And then in 10 years, if this club can stick around, because remember, the Fusion, as much as everyone forgets them, they won the Supporters Shield that year and Mm -hmm. then moved. That's Mm -hmm. how terrible of a fan base they had. Yeah. I think it's really a disgrace that we didn't figure out or Beckham didn't want to buy the strikers or no one would sell the strikers because, you know, the reason why a lot of these clubs in MLS, like the Seattle Sounders, Vancouver Whitecaps, these are clubs that were around in the old North American soccer league. You know, uh, FC Cincinnati was a USL club. These are clubs that were around. There's a fan base there. There's no fan base for inter Miami. So I was scared. So yes, like you, I'm I'm happy to see him, but if these people are going to get in their car and leave Wetchester to drive to Fort Lauderdale on a Wednesday night, and then they get served a five nil match like that debacle that we watched on Wednesday, yeah, it's it's not going to be long before people are like, "I it's too hot, I don't want to go." No, and they 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 have those brothers that are pretty good. Um, whose the name? Iguain? I... They're yes. okay. They're, yes, this, see. To but me, that's they about built it. the team. They built the team wrong. Blaze Matweedy, he's not doing anything out there except collecting a paycheck. No, um, and, and 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 really and truly, it's like you said. People are giving up their time, not just their money or anything, but their time because of what it is to drive out there. 
Um, yeah, they're hungry. You. Listen, they're hungry just like this country has has soccer has boomed because it fits with millennials and young people because a it's affordable b there's no timeouts right? right so it's like they're live they don't have to they don't have to sit through a commercial you know you go you it's 45 minutes you go you get another beer you come back it's another 45 minutes you're back in the car you're gone boom yeah and so and and like i said it's affordable everyone likes it kids play it it's it's caught on it's replacing baseball. I mean, and now we're going to get who's your team though. Oh, the galaxy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, 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 I went, my first match was in 2010, right after um, the world cup and, you know, Landon Donovan, who's my favorite U S player was playing for them. And so no uh, relation to Jeffrey Donovan, right? No. <laughs> so one of my burn notice buddies who had moved out to L.A., Melissa, uh, we um, we went to a match and we're standing. You're going to love this. We're standing in line to buy a beer. And somebody says, what the hell is Barry the Money Launder doing at an L.A. Galaxy match? <laughs> and I turn around and she's like, yeah, I'm talking to you. What are you doing here? And I'm like, uh, I'm supporting the galaxy. She's like, where are your seats? I'm like, over there. She's like, no, 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 no. You're coming with us. And they were supporters of the Riot Squad, which is oh. one of the three supporters groups at mm-hmm. the thing. So yep. they brought us down into their section 138. 138, why? Because they're all Misfits fans. You know, the punk band, the Misfits? Yeah. Right. So they're all fans of the Misfits. So their section is 138 because of the Misfits songs, We Are 138. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, this is too, this is kids. Yeah, that's like perfect my, for you. My punk rock thing's coming back. The burn notice connections back, and the supporters group, which is a family. Boom! I was in a season ticket holder. I've been to weddings, baby births. I mean, all of my friends, my closest friends in LA, Riot Squad, are all Riot Squad. Yes, that's I swear awesome. To God. So you know, it's. I mean, I'm happy for Inter Miami. Believe me, I watch every match. Um, you know, I, I love Beckham. Um, they got some work to do, though. I, they got this one Scottish kid uh, that's really good. Uh, what's his name? Not, number seven. Uh, I can't think of his name. He's probably, to me, the most consistent player they have. And I heard that we just got Nick Ramondo. Yeah, I, I heard a rumor about that. What, what, what really has been kind of... Um in the forefront of my mind is this deal that seems like it's, it's all about filling seats and not necessarily about team success, which is trying to bring Messi over for his, you know, kind of his sunset years. Um, I don't know if you had, had seen that smoke. I did. Yeah. He's got it in his contract where he's going to come here and play two years. And then I mean, do you think back. that's a good idea or no, I think that the way I mean, that it's... they're building the team is horrible. It's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I mean, it's you... cool for people who have not seen him play to be able to come out and see him play, but that's about it. I mean, it's not necessarily good for the team's long-term success. It's not good for the long. It's a it's a money grab. It's a money grab. It's also tough because a lot of these guys that are coming over from Europe, you know, they struggle because of the heat. They don't. They're not used to playing in the summer unless it's international. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then the distance. You know, England is the size of Florida, so you're just traveling on train. Now you got to go from Miami to Montreal to Vancouver. 
these guys aren't used to being on a plane that long to travel the matches and then playing in that kind of heat. No, no. And at this at this point in their career, I mean, you could see it in Blaze Matuidi. That guy won a World Cup three years ago. Yeah. He's yeah. dogging. He, he's getting burnt by guys who were in the USL a year ago. He, he's dying out there. Um, yeah. It's 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 rough to watch, but uh, you know who knows. I'm gonna like I told you with the other thing. You know, I I will always hold out hope, and you know, but uh, they gotta prove me wrong, and and yeah. it doesn't happen that often. Um, I'll I, support them, uh, but you know, like my friends are like, you're still always gonna be a yeah. I said yeah, man. I'm LA till I die. I can't help it. Oh yeah. They they brought me in. I got to meet all the players. I've had conversations with AJ De La Garza, who's like the nicest person on the planet. That's I awesome. mean. These guys, when we were in the riot squad, like I remember one time AJ was injured and he brought us a keg of beer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these people, like, I mean, we would have potlucks every game. There's like nothing picnic, like it. You know, and then the bands are playing and they're all punk bands. You're like, yes, dude. I mean, that, it's soccer culture is, is, is what it is. That's your home because it's like all your loves combined into one. That's, <laughs> no. that's phenomenal, man. Hey, this, this has been an amazing interview. I really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm over in Sarasota. Next time you're in the area, you definitely got to hit me up. Oh, you're uh, in Sarasota. Okay, bud. Yes, sir. I, uh, I appreciate it. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, I'm on Instagram. I got two accounts. There's a Mad Cat and there's my personal one, uh, BellyCat23. Cool. And um, we have a YouTube channel. It's not really that up to date right now um, for Mad Cat. subscribe, but... it will be. But it will be, you know, we're slowly waking up out of this COVID coma to figure out what's next. You're, you're not alone in that. Uh, Madcap yeah. Theater Company, folks, and, uh, you know, Paul Tay, the, the illustrious Paul Tay, thank you so much. Uh, greatly you, appreciate Steve. it, and uh, hope you have a great weekend. You too, buddy. Take care. Right, take care. And that'll do it for another episode of the Know It Some podcast. My thanks again to this week's guest, Paul Tay. I really enjoyed that conversation. It was a lot of fun hanging out with you. And I think that's probably my favorite interview so far on the show. Folks, time is running out for you to vote on the 2021 Podcast Awards. Final day of voting is July 31st. So please head on over to podcastawards.com and cast your vote for Know It Some in both the People's Choice and Society and Culture categories. We'd also love a ranking or review on Podchaser. That's available to everybody, whether you're an Apple or iTunes user or not. It's going to be available to you. So please head on over to Podchaser. Leave us a ranking and review there. And of course, we'll always be grateful for an Apple or iTunes ranking. And the last thing would be to follow us on social media. We are on social media, just about every platform, at KnowItSomePod. That's at KnowItSomePod on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you name it, we're on there. So follow us on social media at KnowItSomePod. You could also send us an email at KnowItSomePod at gmail.com. We love the feedback, and I really do appreciate all the love and support. Folks, there's going to be a new episode every Tuesday, and we will see you next week.